Getting engaged is a moment worth cherishing. A one-of-a-kind ring that you design at Blue Nile can help your love sparkle. Just choose your diamond and setting. When you've found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Finding the right engagement ring can be nerve-wracking. At Blue Nile, you'll have the expert guidance needed and a diamond guarantee that ensures you're getting the highest quality at the best price. Cherish all of life's moments and save up to 30% at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Survivor 46 is here and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast. And we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast. Welcome to another edition of the Anfield Index Writers Podcast. I'm Tom Holmes. Joining me as ever is Leanne Prescott. Leanne, how are you? Yeah, I'm all right, thanks. It's been a busy week, but it's always good when um, Liverpool gets progressed to the next round of the Champions League, so that put a nice spin on things. How are you? Yep, I am good. As you say, it's always nice for Liverpool to progress to the Champions League quarterfinal stages, even if it wasn't the most exciting of games to watch. Uh, and joining myself and Leanne this week is Carl Coppack. Carl, you've not been on for a while. How are you doing, my friend? I'm okay. I'm fine. I um, uh, Let's just say we got through the Porto game, and I hope we're not going to talk about it too much tonight. <laughs> it, was, it was not a classic, was it? No. I mean, I'm kind of glad it wasn't a classic almost, because yeah, I, I felt am. like... I am. I felt like after, in, the, in the opening half hour, I was very sort of... I nearly fell asleep by the half hour mark, but I was very satisfied knowing that we hadn't done something stupid. Which, knowing us, I mean, yeah, Porto were not overly adventurous, but I think we did what we needed to do, and I'm quite happy that we did that. Um, so, Carl, we will start with you, because you've written a cracking article on Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain, and he's a much more exciting topic of conversation than Tuesday's game. We will come back to the Champions League later on in the, later on in the uh, podcast, but for now we're going to stick with Ox. Um, so, Carl, uh, why don't you talk us through your article, what, where you were getting at, what you're thinking of Ox's performances in the last few weeks, and how you see him progressing over the rest of the season. I, I think it's really interesting about Chamberlain that if you couple it with what's going on with Arsenal and the problem with Arsenal, um, the fact that he was always deemed to be one of the players who let Arsenal down. So it's much about Arsenal as anything else, because Arsenal's problem is always the same, which is why I don't think Brendan Rodgers is the, the, the The midfield is too limp. Um, they don't they don't do enough. They don't cover enough. They don't they they, they injure themselves too much. They're too scared. I keep saying it, Graham Soonest called them a, a team of son-in-laws, always anxious to please. And 
I just find it really ironic that Oxley Chamberlain was part of the uh, the, the group of players who were it was, it was always you know dragged in into that sort of cabal as it were, and and that's borne out by his his, his Anfield appearance for Arsenal in the four 0 where of course he, he, uh, Aaron Ramsey's famously talking to him while we're scoring the second goal, I think it was, um, and he's different now, completely different. When we signed him, my I think it's not that I don't like him. I know Leanne's a huge fan. Um, when we signed him, I think everyone's attitude wasn't sort of, you know, what, what a waste or anything like that. It was more just sort of, whatever. Yeah, he's a squad player. Yeah, he's got premiership experience, Premier League, sorry, experience. But I don't think he's going to, it's a lot of money for a squad player. And that's what I really, really thought he is. But he's done just two things in, in the in two of the last three matches, which I think are really interesting. There's the, the game on Saturday against Newcastle, um, I said this last night at the interest show, was archetypal Rafa Benitez defending bank of four maybe five at the back but another four in midfield maybe ten yards away from them and just sit and hold and use the fast players to break you never know you might get a one nil you're probably going to get a nil nil and Liverpool couldn't get past them at all and we went round the sides you know we tried to do the, the pretty triangle stuff we do they sat so deep that we left they left no space behind and Oxley Chamberlain just did the, the it seems an obvious thing he just ran at the he made one of them made a mistake and he just ran at them and that's all we needed. Just a little bit of space, 1-0, uh, which was which was just magical in the Newcastle game. And the reason I mention it is because that's not a one-off. He did exactly the same thing at West Ham as well for Sadio Mane's goal. He just went when he he, he beat something like four players. And I'm, I'm pretty sure he's almost on the ground for two of them. And he just sort of drags the ball through. And I like the fact that he's a player now who, unlike the Arsenal player, he's, he's a player who likes to run full pelt at the defence and make them worry about it. Because, you know, he's not the fastest player in the world. Um, I mean, he's all right, but you know, he's not fast as the front three. Um, and I just think that Liverpool have lacked that a bit, really, because you know, we can the, the mid nineties Liverpool were always pass, 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 goal kick. You know, we never ever sort of um, penetrated what we do, um, and that's what I loved about Gerrard as well. Not that I'm comparing those two for a second. I just love the fact that he's prepared to run at people and make them and, and make them panic. Because defenders hate that. Defenders can organise all day, but if, it, as Alan Hansen said, if you've got some run full pelt at you, you've suddenly got a decision to make, and defenders don't like making decisions. They never do. They'd rather if the system help them out rather than a one-on-one thing. And it's it's we've got two goals and very possibly two victories because of that. I just think I just think that's really interesting, Oxley Chamberlain, because he's just not the Arsenal player he was. No, no, you mean? I think I've spoken more now than I did in the article. <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah, I do. I- no, I agree. I think it's really, really interesting. Um, I'll be honest, I'm not coming from a perspective of um, not necessarily as informed as you guys, because I've missed both of our last two games. I missed both the West Ham and the Newcastle matches. So I've only seen the highlights of Ox's performances. So I've not necessarily seen exactly what he would have done across the 90 minutes in those two games. Um, but Leanne, what was your take on on Carl's ask? As Carl mentioned, we know you're a huge fan of Ox's Chamberlain. I know you were absolutely bursting to, uh, to get talking about him. So I'll let you uh, let you respond. Yeah, I was I was honoured to get a mention in the article actually, and I confirm I don't actually have a scrapbook of Alex Oxley Chamberlain, contrary <laughs> to belief. Um, but I do feel very smug about how he's been in recent weeks and that sort of uptake in form. Um, and I have to agree, it's it's nice to see that Arsenal midfield struggling, and yeah, Ox is doing so well at Liverpool. Um, you know, he wasn't considered good enough for Arsenal, and we sort of were ridiculed for the fact we went out and spent 35 million on him. But he's really starting to to turn it around now after a you know a sluggish start. Um, and I agree, I think the Newcastle game going into 
to it, I was always a little bit worried. Um, I thought it was actually going to be quite a big test for us, which seems weird to say given their league position. But Rafa Benitez is so good with his tactics that they were always going to sit back and frustrate us. And, and they were so organised, so diligent, and it was just really hard to break them down. Um, and that's where Oxley chamberlain came in. He was so instrumental in providing that burst of energy through the middle. Um, and, and as Carl says, this isn't something that was just a one-off. We've seen it against West Ham. Um, and again, he produced a brilliant assist here for Mo Salah, I think it was, where he was pulling people away, drove at the defence, and then just prodded a nice little ball through to Salah. And that's the goal, and that's the breakthrough that we needed. So it's a real show of confidence from him, and it is a great improvement on his Arsenal days and also the start of his Liverpool days, and he's really benefiting from Klopp's guidance. Yeah, I mean, I, I do agree. Um, I think part of the issue with Ox, and as I say, I'll let Carl... I'll go back to Carl again in a second. Part of my issue with him is consistency because I feel like we've had this conversation before. Yeah. I feel like I feel like we've had this exact conversation before and then he'll go three or four games and he won't do anything and suddenly the conversation will drop or we just won't talk about him as much. It feels like we're every two months or so we'll have a conversation about, oh yeah, Ox is good, isn't he? And then for the next two months it'll be, oh, he's not really doing anything. He's not really getting enough game time. He's sort of here, there. He's not really consistently performing. I think for me, I think it's early stages. I think it's very early stages and that's for me is always part of my sort of my worry about him is that Arsenal fans will tell you, and this was the thing that kind of worried me, because after the Man City game, an Arsenal fan turned around and went, yeah, he'll do that. Watch how he plays over the course of a season. Watch how he plays over the course of two seasons, because he'll have good spells. But generally what will happen is if he plays five good games in a row, what will happen then is he'll play. He'll be playing too much, too many minutes too soon. He'll snap something and he'll be gone for six months. And then when he comes back, he won't be the same player. That's, that's my worry. My worry is that it's too early for us to sort of suggest that he's turned a corner when a lot of what we're seeing it does doesn't necessarily worry me but it does kind of kind of fit the pattern of what we might of what Arsenal fans would kind of see obviously we obviously it's a positive trend in the sense that he is playing well at the moment he's in good form and he's had a few good games and hopefully he can start to string together some some um some confidence and start to string together some, some consistency but the lack of consistency and the injuries aren't issues that, have, as of yet, have gone away, in my opinion, at least. I, I just think about the Arsenal thing. I think it's a bit different, really, because he's playing he's playing wing back um, for Arsenal, and it's it's very difficult to get onto a good form uh, at, at wing back because it, it it all depends on the quality of the fullback you're facing. So you know you can have lots of good games and then suddenly be up against Antonio Valencia or someone like that, and it's going to be more difficult. Or if he's, he's playing sort of with a little bit of platter back four. He, who, um, so for, say for example, he's playing against um, Nathaniel Klein in in his Southampton days, where he's not going to come forward that much. I think it's a bit different to play where he's playing at the moment, uh, in a three or one or a two or a two or a one. And I think you can you can build a more confidence for that. But I think it's difficult to a fullback, a wing back, sorry, to be more consistent because firstly it's the most exhausting place on the pitch. You've got to do everything at wing back. You are expected to do both, and you've got to be, and you know and the second a ball is cleared, you're expected to be 40 yards forward than you actually are, and you've got to get up there. So I think that's a little bit more difficult to do that. But positionally, I think he should be more consistent because of where he's playing. You know, he's got width around him at Liverpool, particularly thanks to Trent and Andy Robertson. Um, so I think that's a little bit different. But um, I think the, the main thing for me is I just didn't see him do this at Arsenal at all. I agree with you to some extent. You know, he, he goes quiet, but I, lo- I think a lot of that's because you don't play every game at Liverpool in midfield. We've only got three berths there. 
and, and the captain can't get in half the time. So, you know, the, he has got to chop and change a bit. So maybe that's part of it, too. Yeah, I mean, I'd agree with that. I mean, for all the talk consistency, it's worth noting in his last seven starts, he's got four assists, but those seven starts span two months. That's so the problem, it's a really, yeah. It's, yeah, it's an interesting one, isn't it? I mean, eh, part of the, I mean, as you say, part of the problem is with this midfield, you can't afford to have two games where you're off. Because that's what he did. He had two games where he didn't play very well against Swansea and West Brom, and he was dropped. Yeah, it's that simple. It's that it's that straightforward. And then if the team starts playing well when you're not playing, or starts winning games when you're not necessarily playing, then you then you then you can find yourself in a, in a spot where you have to wait for someone to get injured before you can get back in. That, even I, yeah, exactly. It I can be that simple. He's doing it now. I take the point, but I, surely you know if you look at that West Ham game, he actually wasn't that good in the first half because then he didn't. He didn't really change the game or really influence it that much. Uh, maybe it wasn't West Ham. Maybe it was uh, Newcastle. I thought West Ham uh, was, he, it was good. Yeah, I think it was Newcastle in the first half where he wasn't really doing that much. As in, you wouldn't notice him openly. Um, it was a recent game anyway. Um, but then he comes up and he, he provides that assist and that moment of you know quality that we needed to get the breakthrough. So obviously we want him to be doing brilliantly for the whole 90 minutes, but if you go relatively under the radar and you come up with an assist, then I think you're sort of warranting your place. Of course, you know, it's sort of Genie Wijnaldum, I get that comparison, but he's got six assists and four goals now. Um, and I saw a stat on Twitter that's two goals and five assists in his last 10 starts, which is more goals contribution than he managed in five of his six seasons at Arsenal. Yeah. So, you know, that's ridiculous. He's still a relatively new player at this club. He's still got things to learn. But to be doing that, I think it's it's sort of you have to find the balance between of course he needs to be consistent but at the same time if he's going under the radar and then producing these assists you know who who cares Yeah I, th- I think the thing about the Newcastle game was none of the midfield were doing particularly well and not not because you know, they were lazy or poor or anything like that it's because Newcastle defended really well and if your job at midfield is to get behind them and they're, and they're sitting that deep that's not easy so I don't think it's a case of them not doing well it's more of a case of what do you do next? And I like the fact he found the idea. He found a way of doing it. They get at them full pace. The lad slips and we go through. And, um, you know, so, and we, were, we were doing lots of things. You know, I'd say the ball over the top and Henderson. Henderson was playing that that, that, that side pass thing he does across uh, behind the fullback. That wasn't working because every time we put it, we put it into the box, there was 15 centre-backs in the middle of the pitch and what have you. Um, so I, I think that was... I don't think he played particularly badly before the goal. I just thought they were just Liverpool were just trying to think, okay, well now what do we do? How do we go around these? And the answer, of course, is they get tired. The ball never gets tired, as Shankly said, but the players do, and they switched off for the second, and that's where you win the game. Yeah, no, I agree with that. Um, what I would say is that it's the consistent. As I said, just for me, it just comes down to that consistency. It's not that he's not playing well consistently, because I think he's he's starting to build some consistency as a. I've said, you know, four goal, four, four assists. Sorry, in his last seven starts is 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 pretty much what you want from a central midfielder. As I say, my concern is just that at the moment he's having to scrap for a spot. And I think if you are, I mean, this is the thing. If you ask me a month, if you ask me after the City game, is Oxley Chamberlain one of our first choice midfielders? That would probably be the first time in the season I'd have said, yeah, all right, yeah, probably. But then a couple of games later, by the time the Huddersfield game rolls around, would you have said he's our first choice then? Probably not. Would you say he's our first choice now? Yeah, I think I think you said that in the article, wouldn't you, Carl? He's probably as close to a yeah. first choice as you're going to get in the starting midfield. Yeah. At the mo- at the moment, our best midfield is probably Emre, Milner, and Ox. But I really don't like Genie, so 
he's as I say, I think he's got a lot of work to do between now and the summer. But I do think he is. His his basic my take on it is he's not he's clearly not there yet. It's not enough, and it would be unfair to expect him to be there yet. But he is making improvements. My concern is just that is he going to keep improving? And I I just I I can see why there's evidence to suggest that under Klopp he will. But equally, I'm not yet sold because I'm just the the injury thing is still kind of hovering for me. That's the thing I'm still slightly concerned about because I know obviously people will say, well, he's not been injured in eight months. Well. Not to be funny, but if you're as in if you have the sort of injury issues that he's had, six months without injury is not necessarily a sign that he's just magically fixed. That's what I'm concerned about. I am worried he's going to end up in the same vein as someone like a Henderson or a Lallana, where every time we start to think that they're in a good run of form, something happens to them because that's that's just the the history of their body. That's just the way injuries work. Yeah, yeah. Gerard was the same with that agency. Gerard had all those sorts of back and teeth problems and things and kept pulling things all the time. I think it's probably a growing thing as well, because he's still growing, you know. Yeah, yeah. I think, just to sort of go back to his, like, actual gameplay, I think at the moment he's definitely adding something to the team that no one else is. In in that midfield, you talk about Chan Milner. Milner's been very, very good, and he's got himself some good assists in recent weeks as well. But it's that drive to really attack the, the defence or the midfield at pace. He's got that little bit of, you know, an extra yard that maybe Milner doesn't have. I think he's also benefited from the fact that Lalana's come back and he's not really been on it. Henderson Henderson put in a really good performance the other day, but again it's not it's a completely different role. So if you actually look at our midfield options, there's minimal people who can do what Oxlade Chamberlain does. Now I I'm not trying to get carried away. I will openly admit that I'm a big Oxlade Chamberlain fan and as I said, I'm sitting on my high horse and I'm very happy. Um but I do think he adds up something extra and we've seen that in recent weeks. I can't believe I've just liked off Aaron Ramsey and he's just scored against the Olympics. There you go. <laughs> is that is it is that is that another goal or is that the same goal? Oh no, sorry, it's the same one. I've just I didn't even realise they were playing, yeah. Okay, yeah, that's cool. Still two nil. No, yeah, I think it is an interesting discussion, the Ox one, because it it is interesting. I know as I say, I think he I do think he adds something different to what you might see from someone else in on the field. And I absolutely agree, Carl. I really, really like his directness. I I think he's starting to be a bit more inventive as well. Yeah, and I think he's certainly becoming my issue with him is isn't is kind of I think he, I don't think he's necessarily got the sort of guile, which I think is one of the issues that our midfield has been missing for a while now. I think he's got he's got a bit of skill about him, he's got some real strength and some real power. I'm not convinced yet that he's got the ability to make things happen in a tight space. I mean the only one we've really seen was the West Ham one and even that the second what about the, the Newcastle the sec- one as well? The Newcastle one was, was decent, but that was more about him creating the space by making his running. I don't think the actual pass was that difficult. I thought the space opened up because yeah. of his running, but I don't think it was like a, I don't think it was a brilliant pass. I think it was just, I think it was a good pass. I think it was a, a fine pass, but I I remember watching the highlight. I thought, oh, that was weird. Like because because the way he ran, admittedly, it might have just been the the movement caused the Newcastle defenders problems. But I remember thinking, damn, that opened up really easy. Like it was a really, really easy goal in the end because the the pass and just the finish were very, very easy as a result of the movement. So I'm not sure that's necessarily a, a, him being creative or being guile. I just think it was the, on one occasion where the Newcastle defenders, because as because as as um, Carl said, we worked them really hard for 40 minutes. We stretched them, we made them work. And when you when you stretch defenders like that, and when you've got players running at you, they do make mistakes. But ultimately, I don't think it was a case of Oxlade-Chamberlain in that instance coming up with a bit of magic. I think it was just Oxlade-Chamberlain 
in that position, uh, partly him, partly others, creating a little bit of space for 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 what in the end was a relatively straightforward pass and a relatively straightforward finish. Well, but as a, we still got to finish it. <laughs> oh no, like yeah, I mean, I mean, yeah. it was a good pass, but I don't. I'm just saying, I don't think that that's the sort of pass that it needed someone special to make that pass. If that makes sense. No, but you need the like, you need the idea to put yourself in that position. That's not good. Yeah, but also no one else on the pitch did it. You know, we yeah. we were being frustrated and struggling against Newcastle until he came up with that moment. So I, I would almost argue that actually that does show his guile because he has that sort of awareness to, to drive forward. But he's not the, he's not the only one who's done that this season, is he? Is my point. Like, no, he's no, not, no, it's not something that we've not that, seen from another one of our midfielders, is my no, point. Uh, but um, my point is that we're seeing it more and more from him, which is just a sign of his progression. It's more just a progressional point. Um, just to say, you know, his improvement from when he actually first came to Anfield, what he did at Arsenal and the performances he's produced recently. Because, as I said before, if you look at Emre Chan, he doesn't fulfil that role, nor is he ever asked to. Henderson isn't either. Milner's come up with the assist, but he doesn't necessarily have the pace um, that Oxley chamberlain does to drive at the defence. So in that sense, yes, other people are doing it, but he he's showing, he, he's sort of, Showing he can do it as well. He's he's adding something that others haven't been able to in in the last few games at least anyway against these low block defenses. I don't completely disagree with you. I don't think that's necessarily a fair assessment because I think Emery's pulling pretty similar numbers in terms of assists in terms of creativity. In uh, Milner Milner is in the Champions League. Emery overall is pulling similar levels in terms of creativity. I think he's significantly less creative than Ox when you take out the fact that Emery doesn't take set pieces. And I mean, you, you look at the West Ham game. I, I like. I thought. I thought um, the assist for. I thought Ox was fantastic from what I saw of the highlights of the West Ham game. I think that's the one game where I've looked at him and gone, okay, he is offering something a bit different. He's offering a bit of guile. But I just think at the moment we're not we're not seeing enough from him consistently to show that he's got that difference in terms of passing creativity in the final third. I don't think he's a Coutinho type, a Firmino type who can play those sorts of passes on a regular basis. Even the West Ham pass. Even the assist, he did actually fall over. It was really annoying because I thought it was a brilliant pass, but on replay, it did look, he did it. He didn't mean to do it, which is quite frustrating. But, but he can also take a set piece. I mean, I mean yeah, I mean, yeah. Um, you know, the Burnley away and things like that. You know, fantastic in that. And um, we need that now because you know, Coutinho, obviously, and the other three lads don't want to play it because they want to be the end of the ball. They don't want to be the people who, uh, you know, who supply the ball. They want to be the end of it. So I think it's a useful tavern for that as well. Both last time Jordan Henderson took a free kick. I was thinking this the other day. It's been a while. That's a good question. When was last time? I, I honestly don't know. Um, it's a bit weird. Hendo normally sh- Hendo was on set pieces for a while, and so was Milner. He was, he was last year, yeah. I mean, I mean, Emery, yeah. I can understand. You want Emery in the box. Yeah. He's our best header of the ball, apart from yeah. well, now Virgil, but. Really, Joel Matip? No. No, Emery's a better header of the ball than Matip. Joel Matip can't have a ball. I would pose the question, what's sort of your favourite Oxlade-Chamberlain moment so far then? Because obviously we've talked about uh, six assists and four goals. We've seen some really really good assists from him. Um, I think mine personally would be West Ham away when he scored uh, and West Ham fans were still blowing their bubbles and there's just a photo of him punching the air uh, with all these bubbles in the background. I thought that was sort of the perfect picture um, sort of to to confirm what he not only in that game, but his progression then as well. And now, you know, all these weeks on, we're still talking about how he's progressed. But what what are your two thoughts on that? I um I was at that game, the West Ham away game, and it was funny just because they thought they were in it, 
and literally they were still mid-celebration by the time the game went away from them again. So that, that was really nice. I like that. It probably is the City goal, though, um, just because uh, it's it's not an easy shot to take. He's, he's up against one of the best goalkeepers in the country, arguably the second-best goalkeeper in the country. And uh, even when he, when he took the shot, I thought, that's not going in. And then the ground just went mad, went absolutely mad. So that, that was a lovely moment as well. And the fact that we brought in a big player from a big club who is underrated um, and he scores probably the most important goal of that weekend, which is always the first. Always nice to hear you call Oxlade-Chamberlain underrated. <laughs> well, in terms of underrated in my mind, because I think he's all right, but not much more. On, on, around about then I did anyway. Yeah, yeah. I don't, I don't, I don't dislike him. I, I just think he's all right, and I think, to be honest, I think the rest of the midfield is all right. I don't think it's anything special. Yeah, yeah. I, I, think I, I just think it's people fine. People weren't expecting sort of him to come in and do these, um, you know, goal contributions because that was always a problem during his Arsenal days. He wasn't really getting in that final third and creating the killer pass or scoring the goals. But we've seen he's in the wrong position now. But even when he was utilised in midfield for the very few times it was, we weren't seeing that drive, whereas that's why Klopp has come in and he's unleashed him in his favourite position and we've seen a bit more of it. But as you said, it's it's down to consistency now. Um, Tom, I don't suppose you have a a favourite Oxlade-Chamberlain moment so far? No, you're a massive fan. (laughs) <laughs> it's the City game. It, it's the City goal, it just is. I mean, the West Ham one was fine. I think the only reason the West Ham one was anything other than... Fine. It was. It was. It was the fact that the West Ham fans were so like were still celebrating. That was it. I mean, it was a bit of a bit of a crap. It was a bit of a crap goal, really, wasn't it? He had two bites of the cherry, so it wasn't anything special. Um, the, the City game, you just can't do it, can you? The City game on the other one. The City game on the other hand was just. It was just the sort of the only moment where I've sort of been watching and watching him play, and he's just yeah. done something. Johnny, it's the only game where I've watched him play and he's just had he's just had something. He's just produced that spark because he's not a sort of player I really see sparking. A couple of times he's been on the ends of decent moves and made a decent finish at the end of a decent move. Or a couple of times he's got in and amongst a decent move. But that's the only time we've really seen him pick up the ball, drive at a team, score a brilliant goal in a huge game and just sort of light the place up. That's the only time I've really seen him light that touch paper. The only time I've seen him. And I mean, I, we can, I think, I think the set of time, it was a very Gerard-esque goal. That's the only, and you compared him to Gerard earlier. I think that's the only time we've seen him ever come close to looking like what he can do. Admittedly, as I said, I've not, not watched the West Ham Newcastle games properly. I thought his assist, I thought his general performance against West Ham was, was very good. But as I say, that City game is the only moment we've really seen him produce a goal of, of real quality, in my opinion. Um, as I say, his goal contributions are, are fine. They're about what you'd expect from Ahmed from an attacking midfielder playing in our sort of team. I, I still don't think he scores enough goals. I don't think that's an unreasonable criticism to make of him at this point. Um, to see his assist numbers go up is decent. But again, it's not, not massively above what you might have expected. So, I mean... I mean, to be honest with you, you'd have had to have underrated him pretty highly to think he wasn't going to come up with this sort of level of contribution. It's just for me whether or not he can keep this contribution going over a sustained period of time. But that, for me, is the big question. Can he produce consistent quality and produce consistent quality of goals and assists over a period of time? Because we, we yet to see him do that. Yeah, he's got he's got to support this current form basically for the rest of the season or you know going into next season seeing how that progresses and if he can keep it going. Because if he can, if he can stave off those injuries, then you know there's no reason why he can't continue to be a, a big part of Klopp's midfield. But it, there's always that worry because of his um, you know, history 
that he's going to get an injury and it's going to take him so many months or a year to come back and suddenly all that momentum that he's slowly building up is gone. So it, it, it's again, it's finding a balance between praising him for how he's doing at the moment and saying, you know, there's an obvious improvement here, but then holding our breaths just to say, let, let's see it progress a little bit more. Let's see it continue on a bigger basis, on a bigger platform. And I think it'll be interesting to see how he copes in terms of the Champions League. Now we're in the quarterfinals. Porto was supposed to be this big test and it just wasn't. Um, but, you know, we could get Real Madrid, we could get Barcelona in the next round. So that'll be a big test for all the players, but particularly Oxlade Chamberlain, just to see how he can deal with that. Well, you think he'd be fine given his experience. You know, he's been to yeah. these big rounds, he's played finals, you know, and, you know, it shouldn't be a problem for him, really. Yeah, but does he know but what to do when he's. Like the goal contribution and stuff, does that continue? Does he know what to do off the ball when he's tasked with a, a lot more quality? up against him rather than, no offence, the likes of West Ham, who, you know, well, he, even he, on their best day, they're not going to really threaten him. He did score against the league champions. Very true. Yeah. And his pressing <laughs> stats are phenomenal, so we know he can do it off the ball against big teams as well. Yeah. What I would say is, is he going to be used to being in a winning team in a Champions League, in a Champions League big game? Is he, is he going to know what to do when the people around him are actually doing something? Well, we're going to win the Champions League, so that's not a problem at all. No, he's just going to be a, 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 a part of that, isn't he? He's going to be Igor Biscam 2005. I think that is a good point to, uh, a good point to, to move on to the Champions League because um, uh, Stefan Vasilev has written a really, really solid article about um, Anfield and how Anfield is, Euro- is uh, Liverpool's European fortress and how Liverpool have had some fantastic nights he's he's done some stats talking about the sort of the uh our record in those sorts of games how big european games at anfield in the, in the premier league era for the last few the last few seasons we've got a 65 percent win right overall at anfield in big european games under Klopp, that's 80 percent under rogers it wasn't and then under no. uh and under rafa it's hanging about 65 percent which is what you'd expect given that rafa is obviously of all our recent european managers got the biggest sample size so naturally he's going to have the sort of the you know the the closest to the average, um, so yeah, as he says, he, Liverpool are hanging at about sixty five percent win ratio in big European games, which is obviously fantastic. Um, and he just talks about how Anfield and the atmosphere and how Klopp's record at Anfield is really really good. Um, it's really interesting actually. Uh, our record at Anfield has been really really solid for the last the last few seasons. All of uh, in this season, we've played twenty one games at Anfield. Won 13, lost one. That's pretty solid. Last season, we played of our 24 home games at Anfield. We won 14 and lost just four. And then in, our, in Klopp's first season at Anfield, we what, played 25 games at home and we lost just three, winning 13 of them. So our, our win ratio could stand to get higher. We're averaging about 50, 60% win ratio at home, but we're not losing games at home, which I think is equally as important. We just need to turn some of those draws into wins. And when you look at European home games... Over in 15-16, we won five. Drew, we won five, drew one at Anfield, and uh, this season at Anfield, we've won three, drawn one. So our, um, so our, our, as I say, Klopp's record at Anfield in Europe and especially in the big games is really, really good. Klopp has a phenomenal win ratio at Anfield. So is that something we'll we'll hopefully see going in the quarterfinals? So um, so Carl, I'll let you sort of take this one because obviously you are. You are a veteran, as it were, of, of big, big European nights at Anfield. So, um, so what do you think 
peak of, of Liverpool at Anfield in the last, let's say in the last decade or so, but also under Klopp? Well, firstly, the game we drew this year, we should have won three of it away, uh, which is the Seville game. Um, I, I think a lot of this is to do with the opposition as well, because not everybody wants to um, come to Anfield and try to win. Um, which is the which you know certainly no one's going to come to Anfield and think let's try for a five nil, you know that that's not going to happen. Um, the only time I've been seen Liverpool in the Champions League and Anfield and got got battered was Real Madrid when Liverpool when he got the team wrong and we were just too nice to them. We basically you know just just let them pass around us and we weren't aggressive enough. Um, so it, it is important, you know. I mean, if you look at the uh, the Porto fans. Uh, earlier this week, it's a big deal coming to Anfield because, you know, that tie's over. They still travelled. They still came across. You know, they were still loud in town in the afternoon. You know, they you know they were, they were making my mum sad like she saw loads of them in town and they were just, you know, it, 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 it was a big deal. It was a big proper night out for them, even though that's absolutely no chance of going through to the next round. So it's, it means something for European teams to come to Anfield and play in the Champions League because, it's still Liverpool, and even though our, our record in Europe hasn't been great in terms of qualification, in fact, it's been terrible. Um, this is our third campaign since 2009, I think, in the Champions League. Um, it's 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 still important that Liverpool is seen to is, is seen to be somewhere where you go to struggle, and I think that reputation we still got that reputation. So when you talk about 65 percent, I think a lot of those games are draws. We only tend to lose an Anfield in, in European competitions when it's someone who is often just significantly better than us and they know they can do it. I mean, and the, the thing about that now, in the last eight, is that most teams are going to think that they can do that. So I think that represents a new issue for Liverpool. I think that means, you know, you know Maribor, Spartak, Moscow, they weren't going to come to Anfield to win. They came out for a day out. Um, and you know that's going to skew the numbers to some extent, but I think now it gets interesting. And I was on this isn't the question, Tom, but I, I was on um, Fred show last night, and we were talking about who do we want next. And I said I don't care, I don't care if it's one of the really, really huge teams because I want to see what this Liverpool team can do against the team at, Anf- at Anfield when that team thinks they can beat us. That doesn't actually happen very often to us. I mean, in terms of Mourinho, you know, we, the last two times he's come to Anfield, he's absolutely begged for a draw and got it. So I, so I think it's really interesting in Europe because people don't come to Liverpool to win. They come just to make sure they haven't humiliated themselves. I think that's a really interesting because I think that's really interesting because I think it's slightly different in the league, to be honest. Swansea won in the last two years. So. Yeah, it is really interesting. So I guess we'll see what happens. Um, uh, Rafa, uh, Rafa's record in big games, he lost five of 22 games at Anfield, which considered big games. I think a couple of those at least a couple of those would have been to Chelsea. Chelsea, forget. Yeah. Uh, I'm trying to think who else, to be honest with you. Um, well, it's, it's, the, city, it's, it's the city thing as well. Didn't, didn't we play Gommel and they won? You know, cause you, you know, you're going to get stupid things like that where we won so much in the first leg that, yeah. you know, and we lose the second leg because it doesn't really matter. Like, if we lost to Port, I'm really pleased we didn't. But, you know, it goes down as a defeat, but no one would have cared. Yeah, exactly. So, so it's it's hard. You got to think about context, really, for that sort of stuff. Yeah, I think I think it'll be interesting though with the you know the quarterfinals and the opponents we could potentially face. There are still a couple of teams that maybe wouldn't necessarily threaten us. Um, but talking of you know your Real Madrid, your Barcelona, those teams who would come to Anfield and 
and come to play. Um, you know, they would look to really, really threaten and attack us. And obviously, they carry such a threat in comparison to the likes of Maribor and Ludogorets. Um, but maybe that plays into our hands because we don't play with the expectation that we have to win or we're, we're going to win. People wouldn't, you know, go into the game thinking, oh, Liverpool are going to smash Barcelona or smash Real Madrid. They'll think, oh, you know, this could be a tight game. And because the team would be coming out and attacking us, that changes the, the perspective of the game. You're not looking to, you know, uh, break down a massive wall. Um, or a low block defence or, you know, be frustrated for, for 90 minutes, as you said, you're getting that space and that freedom to express yourself. So maybe, obviously it's a harder task, but maybe that might play into our hands a little bit. Yeah, possibly. Um, I, I think it's just a really, really interesting dynamic about, you've got to put yourself, you've got to think about what would you do if you were coming to Anfield? And obviously, you know, being to Anfield so often, I personally would have a go, to be honest, because there's nothing worse than being at home and suddenly things are against you. Tottenham last night, perfect example, it went to 2-1, the Reds went. I mean, they put on an effort at the end, but once they went behind, their mentality just absolutely froze. Um, so I, I think I think it's really interesting how people judge coming to Anfield. And I think we've got the advantages that people show us, I think, just a little bit too much respect. Um even Seville, when it went to 2-2, they pretty much stopped. Thought, okay, we'll, we'll take the points. We're happy with this. First game of the Champions League. We've gone to Anfield and not lost. That's a result. Not, let's go for the throat. Interesting. Yeah, it's really interesting. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm just having a look at the moment. As you said, Carl, Benfica, Chelsea. These are all Rafa's sort of big, big uh, defeats. Obviously, we beat Arsenal and then lost to... We lose to Chelsea at home that year. Christ. Um, yeah. That was brutal. We lost Chelsea quite a lot at home, didn't we? <laughs> yeah, um, that, uh, they had a bit of help on occasion. We lost at Anfield, actually, to Barcelona. 1 0. Yeah, but we're already through. Yeah, we're already through. Well, sort of. Well, we, we had a 2 1 lead. I wouldn't say we were already through. It was 2 2 on aggregate in the end. Yeah, and I, I didn't particularly enjoy the last 10 minutes of the home game, but um, <laughs> well, what, what I mean is we, we lost, but we won. Yeah. Because we went through anyway. Thanks to the magnificent John Arnold Reese. I nearly said it without laughing. <laughs> okay, so let's let's do something slightly different, because as, we, as we've said, um, Anfield is a fantastic place for big European nights. So, um, Leanne, I'm going to start with you on this one. What is your favourite... Anfield memory from the Champions League? Um, I'd have to say Olympiacos. Uh, I was pretty young at the time, but I remember sort of that goosebump, goosebump moment when the commentator said, lovely cushion he- header for Gerard. Oh, you beauty, what a hit son. That will always live long in the memory. Um, and, you know, it was one of the most, well, the best piece of commentating I've ever heard, actually, for a football match. And it was just a testament to how good the goal was. It was a perfect reaction. And it was... Um, you know, just the whole the whole game. It was a a phenomenal performance and an illustration of what Anfield can do, but also what Stephen Gerrard could do, and what this Liverpool team could do. Because um, I think there was a moment in the first half before Olympiacos scored their free kick, where Alonso had a free kick, uh, comes in towards a far post, and Gerrard did a back heel, comes off the post, I think. And so yeah. you know, it, he he just produced so many moments of magic in that game. And I just think it's a perfect rendition of his Anfield career. Um, and I, I hopefully 
you know, we get to see that type of magic in the quarterfinals where we get a big clash. Um, I'm, I'm hoping for a big clash against the big team. Um, but there's also the infamous ghost goal against Chelsea that has fond memories, obviously. Um, so it's just overall, it's great to be back in the competition and especially in the quarterfinals and at a stage where we've seen the team scored score an unprecedented level of goals and produce so much entertainment, especially in that 5-0 win over Porto. And so hopefully we get another one of these memorable Anfield nights where we get some really good commentating about a, a, a scintillating goal and a moment of pure magic where Anfield just erupts again. So now that Leanne's stolen the two best moments from our Champions League <laughs> winning season that she doesn't even remember because she was too young, Carl, you can uh, you can say your best European night at, at Anfield. I was at the 2007 semi, um, which was, uh, I, I, on doctor's advice, I was told not to go because I've been seriously had a few months before, uh, but I went to that. So that, that whole game was, was painful. But um, I didn't go in 2005. I couldn't go out to work. Um, so I will probably say going to games, uh, talking about games that I was at, Luis Garcia's goal against Juventus, um, because I had the best seat in the ground for it. I'm literally looking over his shoulder when he puts it in against Buffon. I'm watching the arc of the ball, and I knew that was a goal the second he hit it, and so did he. Uh, and you know, Buffon was probably the best goalkeeper in the world at the time. And I just thought, everyone thought we were going to lose against Juventus. Everyone. Because we played Anthony Latanak up front. Um, and they had Nedved, they had Ibrahimovic, uh, they had Buffon in goal. Um, and to go 2 0 up at home against Juventus is just sort of. Because there was always a sense around in 2005 was, well, 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 we'll go this far. We've got Juventus. Okay, we'll probably get beat by Juventus. That probably makes sense. No, we're 2 0 up against Juventus. And that's when you started. That was when I first started to think. Where, where's the final? I remember walking out the ground thinking, is it Istanbul this year? It is, isn't it? How do you get to Istanbul? I remember having that first thought um, when, when Garcia scored that goal. And also, I like it for the fact that I was in the lower centenary, now the Kenny Dogley stand, and I was in something like row, let's say row four, and by the time I stopped celebrating, and I have no idea how I was in row seven, I managed to celebrate backwards, climbing up a terrace. <laughs> And I've literally no idea how I no. did that. Yeah, I, I was literally, I think I was dragged for the first one. And then I just sort of kept rolling back over the seats. Um, I do have a history of this, though, of having to ask people if I was standing next to them for the goal. I have had to do that before. But yeah, I've literally no idea. How, I mean, if you're going forward, you can understand. That happened in away games. You know, the crowd push on each other. That happened at the Brighton game, actually, and in the 5-1 this season. But to go backwards takes some sort of thought and effort. And I've still no idea to this day how I did it. I said to Leanne earlier, let's get let's get Carl on to talk European European games. He's bound to have some good stories and that absolutely lives up to that one. Um there's a couple of games I think funnily enough, from, from the from the Luis Garcia ghost goal game, the thing I actually remember is Idolga Johnson coming about an inch away from equalising and knocking us out in the ninetieth minute. It's still gonna go in. Yeah, it's gonna gonna go every in. time one, you one, watch it. One day that's going to go in. <laughs> um, the two other big games that I kind of remember, obviously the Arsenal 4-2 was a fantastic game of football that we ended up coming out on top of. But I just think the Real Madrid... I've got a story about that as well, but it's not for... Uh, trust me on this. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And the, um, the Real Madrid 4-0. Because it just, it just astounds me to this day, watching about the highlights that we beat Real Madrid, who at the time were obviously a massive club. Still are, obviously. But you know what I mean? We beat them 4 4-0, and their goalkeeper was man of the match. 
That's how good we were that day. I could, and obviously, I could talk about that game for about four hours. I was in the main then, stand for that game, and when Gerard scored that goal, that goal, um, I, I just thought, I, I, I think that's still my favourite best, my, my favourite Gerard goal, just because it's not just the way he did it; it's the fact that he's done that against Ica Casillas, and that, and, you know, and, and Casillas was was their man of the match in that game. He was phenomenal. And he just thought, just uh, the way of just back, I think Ryan Babbles crosses, and he just, we just sort of said, yeah, mine. And I think that was 3 0. And, uh, mind you, I'm great to say this, to say this goal in that game, too. So that's one of my favourite Champions League goals. I'm certainly my top five Gerard goals that, just because it's the force in which he hit the ball. It was absolutely phenomenal. Yeah, brilliant, brilliant goal. It's, it's you see, so you've seen the end of the advantage, we... there's an advantage to being old. We're so frustrated we didn't do better that year. I just think Chelsea was the one team we wouldn't have wanted to come up against that year, and it's the the team that's scuppered us. And that's actually what I'm kind of worried about this year. I'm kind of worried that we're going to come up against someone who is just who we really. That's what I was kind of worried about drawing someone like Spurs, who like I felt if we played a big European giant, we could take him down. But if we end up with someone who just like understands us a bit better, someone like a like a Mourinho or maybe even a Pochettino, that we might just run up run up against the brick wall, even when we're we're so on form. So on, along those lines, um, who do we want? Who do we want? Really want to play in the quarterfinal? Which team are we looking at and going? You, you're next. Um, Carl, who are you? Is there any any of the big teams in particular, or maybe not one of the big teams that you look at and go, I want to play you next. I want to beat you next. But um, Real Madrid, absolutely Real Madrid, because I want to see what this team can do. And if we go out, there's no shame to going out to Real Madrid. I don't want to go out to Shakhtar Donetsk if we got to the last eight. I couldn't. I couldn't live with that. Um, I want us to play a really, really big team. I don't want to play Man City because it's, it's for me that's cheating. It's not European football. They're thirty miles away from us. Um, I don't want to. Oh no, actually, um, I said this on press last night. Um, Sevilla, please. I'd like to play Sevilla. That would make me. That would make me very happy indeed. <laughs> yeah. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not worried about anyone. If we go to if we go to Barcelona, then fine. We we'll go to Barcelona. I want to see what this team can do. Sevilla is probably the one team I definitely want to avoid, just purely because of our history. It just they just frustrate me so much. Um, I think Shakhtar Donetsk. If I was being sensible, I would want them purely because I think that's that's the easiest um, game to. But well, what happens if you go out to them though? I, I, I don't exactly. Know. Yeah, and I I think it's sort of it's one of those where if you've got a congested. Uh, fixture period and you really have to rally yourself up for these games and not, that's not to say that the players wouldn't because it's only Shakhtar but if you're playing someone like um, Bayern Munich, PSG Barcelona you're already going to be rallied up you're going to be fighting for your life effectively because you're up against it and so in, in some ways I agree I'd, I'd want to see us be against one of these big teams to see what we're made of but also to give us that famous Anfield night back um, do, you, do, you know, do you know who we're playing in between the two European legs? Everton. No. Everton no. away. Yeah, exactly. So it's going to be a, a big, big period for the club. Um, and that momentum is absolutely crucial. So Shakhtar would be the best bet in terms of progression. But personally, I, I want us to avoid English teams because I agree with Carl. A bit boring. Um, I'll play one of them in the final. But yeah, let's not do it yet. Um, I'm kind of tempted by Barcelona just purely because if we knock them out, then it's another, um, you know, point up on Coutinho. Just just to laugh at him a little bit more. 
Um, but yeah, just any any big contest, I think it would be really, really interesting to see what this team is made of, particularly in the midst of a, a Merseyside derby. I'd like, like Juve. I wouldn't mind Roma actually as well. Uh, no, I would not want Juve. I, I would I would be intrigued by um, Real Madrid purely because they've had quite a mixed season. So just be interesting to see what they can produce. And also it would be a major test of our defence, obviously, and, and a big test for the likes of Lewis Carrius because he's done really well recently. But when you're talking about the likes of Barcelona and Real Madrid, that's a that's a big step up. Either of you've mentioned Bayern, actually, considering that I would say they're probably the team we're most likely to go out against and the team I probably least want to play. Just because I think I, I don't mind going out to someone that I can think, look at that game going, yeah, all right, we've probably got a decent shot there. Bayern, I just think would be absolutely horrible. I think it would be a horrible way to go out. Um, I disagree that's what with they you. Said, that's did... what they said in 1981, Tom, and who got to the Fair final enough. of that year. What I, what I would say is I don't agree. I don't agree playing an English team would be boring because I think anybody who thinks 180 minutes of Liverpool versus Man City with the form that those two are in and the games that those two have given us over the last couple of years is boring. It, uh, it, it might be a bit samey-samey, but it's not going to be boring. I'll yeah, but you can't, you can't use your passport, though. That, that's that is true. But I was saying to my friend last night, could you imagine a two-leg tie between us and Man City? Holy crap that would be one hell of a two leg because yeah. that's the what's the that's the two games you look at and going neither team is going to hold any quarter there that yeah. i can i could see someone like a real madrid or a barcelona just being a little bit more smart maybe at anfield just being a little bit more cagey city would come to anfield and just try and take us out it would just be insane um but if i'm being completely honest i really really want to play man united because nothing would give me greater satisfaction it's kind of it's kind of the biggest gamble i think because the worst, the worst possible outcome is losing to Man United. That would be the worst possible outcome. But equally, I think the best possible outcome would be, would be well and truly stamping this United side into the dirt. Just sort of absolutely laying our claim to them saying, you know what, we are better than you. You are not as good as us. And knocking them out of European competition would just be absolutely glorious. So that's my take on it. As well, I, don't get me wrong, I'd love to play and love to beat any of the big clubs. But if we're going to play and beat a big club, it would be really, really nice to knock out Man United. I'd rather knock out Barca. Yeah, I'd, I'd rather knock out Barca purely because a tie with Manchester United is going to be you're up against a park bus. Whereas Barca, it's going to be absolutely horrible. Out. Yeah, it, it would. It, it's not. It wouldn't be a Champions League game. It would be a ball fest, and you know they'd frustrate us, and it would be. It would. It would just be no. I just don't want that. I'd be really happy to knock them out, but I'd much prefer to lock, uh, knock out Barcelona. Does anyone remember the first the first semi-final tie at Stamford Bridge, the game before the Garcia goal in 2005? The 0-0. Does anyone remember a single no. second of that game? That's what it'd be like against United for three hours. No, Mourinho's, they're not that good anymore. <laughs> this, is, no, this is what I mean. I think, I but, think but, but that's what he'd do. That's what he'd no, do. But, he's not right. good, but his team aren't good enough to do it anymore. Man United are not as good as that sort of Chelsea team. They're not that good. That's just, this is what I'm talking about. This is why I really want to play them. I really want us to score an early goal and beat them 4-0 and just prove to everyone this team is nothing special. This team is not as good as that Mourinho team. They're never, they're not even close to this Mourinho team. This is what I wanted to prove. This is why I want to play them over two legs because I reckon we beat them four 0 on aggregate. I really do. I don't know. I'll take, I'll take, I'll take anyone. I'd like Seville. I like Seville though. Seville would make me very, very funny. That would be very. I think, yeah. I think the good thing is that we're not going into the quarterfinals fearing anyone. Um, You know, we've seen the team 
progressed so well over the course of this competition to beat someone like Porto 5-0 okay their league is a different you know it's not the same challenge as the Premier League but they were unbeaten before we played them they're still unbeaten in the league I think um so again just to breeze past that opponent and to go into the quarterfinals not fearing anyone um everyone's saying you know I'll take Barcelona I'll tell, take Real Madrid we're not hiding from anyone I think that's really 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 good to see and it shows just how much sort of confidence there is in this team that we've built I think the other thing is it's a free hit we've got to the stage where we haven't disgraced ourselves we've done a good job against everyone from up against we've produced one or two really really stellar results we look a good team. There's absolutely no disgrace in going out now. We've kind of hit our expectations, which does give us a bit of that free hit feel. It's like it's like Carl said, if we get knocked out to a superior team, we get knocked out to a superior team. There are own with the exception of, of Shakhtar if they make it or United if they make it, there are no not good teams left in it. These are all top, top sides left in the division now. We're looking at Barca, Bayern, Real Madrid, oh, yeah, Bayern Munich, City. It, it, it is the business end, and it's nice to be in it at the business end and looking at it and going, which of these, which of these monumental sides do we want to have a want to go slug toe to toe with? Because ultimately, it, you know, if we go, if we go toe to toe and we lose something like we lose on away goals, for example, to Barcelona, there's no, you know, that's 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 no disgrace in that. that. Yeah. 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 Exactly. Okay, so I think we've we've pretty much um, covered both these topics unless there's anything either of you want to add before we move on no no other than win the Champions League please Liverpool oh, mate <laughs> how good would it be how <laughs> good would it be it would shut up so many people um so that. yeah so would I <laughs> uh, so Carl is there anything you want to plug while you're on yes there is Tom I have started a non-Liverpool blog called um, some green grass and a ball, which is a, which is a Bill Shankly quote. And yeah, the, the, the point of it is that it's not about Liverpool football club. I've written the first piece about Carlos Puyol by um, Barcelona, who I really, really like. I'm going to be writing about obscure things that only I'm interested in. So I'm not expecting many hits. But uh, if you like stuff I do and you want to read things that I'm interested in, then uh, I'm going to have a look. Please do that. Uh, Leanne, anything you want to plug? Yeah, so I'll have an article out in the next few days about Dejan Lovren and looking at his partnership with Virgil van Dijk and, and how that is sort of the partnership Klopp needs to be using now rather than Joel Matip, who I think came to Liverpool with a lot of expectation that he was going to be really good and help solve our problems. But he's not really turned out to be all that good. And personally, I don't really rate him that much. I think he's really declined. Um, so I think for me, Lovren is the way forward, um, at least for the rest of the season until you know we can get someone else in but yeah that should be out in the next few days I, don't, I see absolutely no way in which that could possibly be controversial um so so i'm going to finish up by um plugging my article which i'm uh going to have out tonight tomorrow that sort of time um it's going to be on basically basically this liverpool are gonna fear nobody in the champions league last day and rightfully so i think there's a i don't think there's a single team i'm looking at and going we don't have a chance. I think out of all of them, I think we can beat all of them. Whether or not we will, you know, remains to be seen. But I think there isn't anyone we should be looking at this draw and going, they are streets ahead of us. And I mean, I could be proven horrendously wrong in the quarterfinals, but I hope I'm not. Um, so thank you very much for coming on, Carl. Thank no you problem. very much as ever, Leanne. And we will be back next week. Thank you very, very much for listening. And please do keep listening to the Anfield Index Writers podcast.
Podcast Network.